Okay, open your Bibles. Have I told you not once but a million times how much I love to say that? <laughs> I do. I love to say, open your Bibles. And then, oh, you know what I really loved last week is when I had you start with Romans 1. And, and you all open your Bibles to Romans 1, and then I said, and then it will quickly go through, because we really couldn't do Romans 12 without going through all of Romans, because it's a letter that, that builds. We had to see what the therefore was all about, and then there was just, it was like music in my ears, and you, you know I appreciate music, and this was like music to me. When I would, when we started in Romans 1, and then as we went to Romans 2 and 3 and 4, and your pages, I could hear it. I could hear you going through, and I would, and I knew that you were probably looking at underlined or stars or wherever, and this is the way, this is how you get to know God's word. And then it's like he jumps right at you and he's speaking to you. So tonight, here we go, Proverbs chapter um, 26. We start with, oh, 25. Oh, yes, of course it is, 25. <laughs> I don't, we don't want to miss any, do we? No, we certainly don't. Now, did you notice that, that these Proverbs were written by Solomon? And you know Solomon lived, you know, in the first part. I kind of look at the Bible. The first part, you know, when, with David and Solomon. And, and, then, um, and then the whole commotion of the dividing of the kingdom of Israel and the kingdom of Judah. And then the going into um, into. Uh, how do I want to say it, into captivity. Captivity was the word I was looking for, how the kingdom of Israel went into captivity of Assyria, and then the kingdom of Judah went into captivity for 70 years, and then God said, I have plans for you. I have plans for you, plans to prosper you and give you a future, and everybody knows that verse, and this is what God meant when he wrote that. He said, you know, I, all of you have been terrible, but you know what? I came up with a promise, and I'm good on my word, and so I'm going to bring you people back. After 70 years, I call it a 70-year timeout, he said, I want to make sure you come to your senses, and I'm going to bring you back because my plans for you is to bring a Savior through you. And, and Hezekiah, so even though Solomon was years before I had a smile because I thought, you know what? Solomon's words, it's like Hezekiah said, we got to write these down. And so in, in my Bible, it says the Proverbs were collected by Hezekiah's aides, and he wanted them down. So here they are. It is the glory of God to conceal a matter. It's the glory of God to conceal a matter. <laughs> that is for sure, because can, can any of you say you understand God completely? The way he's worked in your life, the way that his process in your life has gone, can you honestly say, oh, yeah, get it? No, there are many. I mean, all of us, we've, we've raised our hands saying, this doesn't make any sense, Lord. And, you know, it is the glory of God to conceal a matter. 
I mean, there are times when you study Revelation and you, or you, even when you do Genesis 1 and you think, now, was it seven days, 24 hours? Or you know how some of these things in God's word, we just really don't know for sure. The revelation is the tribulation. Is it figurative? Is it literal? All these kinds of questions. And you know what? He doesn't tell you because he, you know what? It's his glory to conceal a matter. What he wants us to know, he will tell us. Now, I do want to insert something there because, you know, sometimes I think we read God's word way, you know, way too much with this mentality. Well, I don't get that, so um, I'll just either let Linnell explain it or it must be one of those things that we're not supposed to know. It is so easy to just read quickly and say, oh, don't get that. Oh, believe me, if I did that every time I didn't get something... (laughs) Uh, you wouldn't be in this class because I, there would be no no teacher. Because, I mean, I sometimes with tears rolling down my face will say, I don't get this. And yet I'm supposed to come on Monday night and supposed to make some sense out of this. And, and so the Lord will say, I, you know, yeah, say, does he ever literally talk to me? No, I've never heard his voice. But do I know when he's talking? Oh, yes. And he's saying, just sit there. Just sit there and keep going over it. And it is just inevitable. I've had this time and time again where all of a sudden, you know, when I show him that I want to know, when I say to him, I am seeking for the answers here, I am knocking, I am asking, what do we know? What, what, what is his promise? If you seek, what does he promise? You'll find that if you keep knocking and if you're persistent, he says, I'll make sure you know, because I want you to know. But I'm just, I just want to see if you're willing to give me the time. And so sometimes it is his glory to conceal a matter because you know what? He knows that our minds, as brilliant as they are, as beautifully as we've been created, he knows they cannot possibly understand some of the things that he's got going So you have to kind of weigh that out. Are you willing to really study and ponder and take the time because you know that he's got answers for you? But then there are times when, yep, he just says, I'm just going to let you wait and see. And then the second line is to search out a matter is the glory of kings. So you've got the opposite here. So for kings, you know, he's talking about a king, a ruler, um, Maybe you and me. Sometimes I'm looking at this word king quite frequently in these Proverbs, and I'm thinking, okay, now who we're talking about? Who are we talking about? And I'm starting to realize that it can be you and I because we all have people that look up to us. We all look at, we all have people that are trusting us, our behavior, our words, everything. So, um, you know, looking at it that way, to search out a matter is the glory of kings. He's saying, and that's kind of what I meant when I said, sometimes you just got to search it out. Sometimes you do need the answers. As the heavens are high and the earth is deep, so the hearts of kings are unsearchable. What do you know about God's word? It's just endless treasure. And the more time you spend in it, the more, the more that you search. There's just an endless. You, you can search and search, and you'll never get down to the bottom of it. So the hearts of kings are unsearchable. 
remove the dross from the silver and out comes material for the silversmith. You know, you can understand that. I mean, if you want to make a piece of silver worth something, you've got to get rid of all the crud first. Silver, there's a lot of junk in metal before it becomes this beautiful piece of silver worth a lot, very valuable. But look at you, you take that proverb and you make it yours as far as, you know, let's say you're that piece of silver. You're, the, you're worth something to him. You're valuable to him. But what does he got to do? What, is he, what does he have to do to you and I? He's got to get rid of our yuck too. So remove the dross from the silver and out comes material for the silversmith. Now he can use, now, now it's going to be valuable and worth something and it's, he's going to be able to use it. And I think that's us. You get rid of the yuck. You let him do the molding. You let him do the refining. You let him do what he has to do. Then you know what? He's got something he can work with. Remove the wicked from the king's presence and his throne will be established through righteousness. Now, next week, we're going to be in Romans 13, and, you know, it's going to, I'm not saying it's going to get political, because God's word says what it says, and it's going to be kind of a jolt sometimes when you realize that, boy, that's what it says, doesn't it? But I tried to picture our country, if we would just get along, if our government wasn't crooked and it wasn't deceptive, if it if it was just, you know, if you, what did it say? Remove the wicked from, from the president's presence. Do you think you would have something to work with? <laughs> Do you think we would have a different country? Remove the wicked from the king's presence and his throne will be established through righteousness. Man, if there was righteous living, I mean, and I'm saying he's got to do the same. I mean, I'm not saying that, but if we all did, if we all got rid of the yuck, if we removed the wicked, all the wickedness, you remove wickedness, guess what you got? You got righteousness. But on a personal level, level, uh, I still think that it can work this way too. Remove the wicked from the king's presence and his throne. If I'm the king, if I'm the if I'm the one someone's looking to, then I mean maybe this could mean my home. Remove the wicked from the king's presence, then his home will be established through righteousness. Oh, wouldn't the home be different? You know, Psalm is saying, I know that looks impossible, but it all has to do with search me and clean me out. And then, then look what we've got to work with. Do not exalt yourself in the king's presence. Do not claim a place among great men. You look at that sixth verse and you think, you know, oh, it, but that feels good. It makes me look good. 
It's better for him to say to you, come up here, than for him to humiliate you before a nobleman. Now, the only thing that I could think of that I thought went along with this proverb is, have you ever been to a baseball game and you got the cheap seats because that's all you could afford or maybe, you know, and uh, I know we have. We've gone, you know, we're way up in the nosebleed section, and it's about, you know, we waited till about the second, third inning, but then we're looking at these great seats right down there, and no one's sitting in them. I mean, what a waste. And we waited till the third inning, and so, I mean, who's, who's going to come? Who's going to come after the third inning when there's only nine innings to a game? So here we go. And, I mean, we just park ourselves in those seats. And here comes the usher. And, I mean, it is so humiliating. It is so humiliating. Can I see your ticket, please? And there stands the people, you know. Oh, no, you're up here. You're way up there. You're supposed to be, oh. That's the only thing that came to my mind. Because you know what? We want, we want the expensive seats. We want to be down there right behind home plate. You want to see the expressions on those players' faces. You want to see it when they hit a home run. You want to hear that crack. But no, we, we couldn't pay the money to get those seats. So, you know, it just seemed logical. I said to Tom, come on, they're not coming now. Oh, oh dear. So I I understand that proverb. I gotta listen I gotta listen to Solomon more. Because look at it is better. It is better for him to say to you, come up here than for him to humiliate you before. Oh God. Okay. What you have seen with your eyes, do not bring hastily to court, for what will you do in the end if your neighbor puts you to shame? What? You have seen with your eyes. Do not bring hastily to court. What does that mean? Okay, you, you catch something. Oh, it would be so easy to go to the public with this. Tell everybody, oh, you have got some info. You will be the hero. No, Ken, where'd you hear that? Oh, Psalmist said, no. For what will you do in the end if your neighbor puts you to shame? I mean, it's going to come back. There's so many proverbs in this, this particular lesson that I think he really is working at, you know, things that, that might happen. Like, I'm confessing to you about that baseball game. I'm quite embarrassed to tell you that. But, you know, he's really coming at where we think, ah, oh, that's not so bad. That's not really a big deal. I think these Proverbs, he is coming at and saying, you know what, that's still a part of your character. And wonder if, you know, wonder if, if your neighbor puts you to shame because, you know, he's going to come back and say, come on, oh, there's going to be an old look at the next one. If you argue your case with a neighbor, do not betray another man's confidence. See, same thing. These two verses, eight, nine, pretty much the same. It's so easy when you get a tidbit of information. It's just so easy to be able to say, and, you know, you totally forget because, you know, you're going to, they're going to say, wow, you got that information, wow. And in the meantime, you, that person probably has just said to you, now, I'm trusting you with this. You know, look how self can get in there. And before all of a sudden, you don't care. You've betrayed their confidence because that makes you look good or what it makes you look or not good. But I'll tell you, self is sneaky. 
or he who hears it may shame you and you will never lose your bad reputation. In other words, you know, your name, your reputation, it, it can just be ruined in such a short period of time. And then to be rebuild that trust again, you know, you betray your confidence and we're going to see that he talks about this quite a bit. So we'll just go on. A word aptly spoken. So now he's saying, oh, there are wrong words and there are right words. So before in the in verses eight and nine, he's saying, you know what, there are some wrong words to use. And I I kind of wrote I wrote some. What are wrong words? Um my own ideas. <laughs> um self plans. Self plans. Gossip, insult, exaggeration, you know, downright lying, but we try to put other names to it. Arguing, quarrelsome, picking, just picking. Those are wrong words. And Solomon's saying, I'm trying to warn you that wrong words will come back to get you. So now we've got just a little two-liner that he said, uh, there's good words. There's good words. When, uh, when words are used in a right way, they're like apples of gold in settings of silver. He's saying, you know what? You use a right word. It is so valuable. It is so beautiful. A right word can make such a difference. Like an earring of gold or an ornament of fine gold is a wise man's rebuke to a listening ear. Again, you know what else is beautiful and you know what else is valuable is when you can take, when you can take someone's correction and say, you know, it's not what I wanted to hear, but you know what, I, I know I needed it. A wise man's rebuke to a listening ear. It's valuable. It's beautiful. Maybe not split second right then because you don't want to think that. But if you can say, because none of us are perfect. And, and self is sneaky, like I said. And it's so easy to veer, of course. And if you've got someone in your life that loves you enough, that has your best interest in mind, that comes alongside of you and said, you might not even notice, you didn't even realize maybe what you were doing, but this is the way it appeared. And I just, I know what a slippery slope is like. And so he's saying, you know, that's beautiful. That's valuable. Like the coolness of snow at harvest time is a trustworthy messenger to those who send it. He refreshes the spirit of his masters. Follow through with your promises. Have you ever had a promise broken? Have you ever had someone say to you, I promise? You know, I think a lot of times that can happen with children, you know, and they say that that's so detrimental to a child when you promise and and then you don't come through but I don't think even us adults appreciate it when someone promises and you're counting on them and you are trusting them you believe they are trustworthy they mean what they say 
Solomon says, think about that. Don't just be quick with your words and promises. It kind of goes in the next verse with that same kind of frame of mind because it's just so easy to say things. He says, like clouds and wind without rain. In other words, there's really no, they're useless. Clouds and wind without rain. Well, you know what? So is a man who boasts of gifts he does not give. I don't think I have to explain that anymore, do I? I mean, you know, it's when you promise something. Oh, you need that? Oh, I promise. And you don't come through. You know what? Your words are useless. They're fake. And those are two words I'm telling you. I don't know about you, but I just can't hardly stand it. I can't stand it when I think that I could be, I could be known as fake or useless. Through patience, a ruler can be persuaded, and a gentle tongue can break a bone. Okay, through patience, a ruler can be persuaded. Patience, you know, it, it, it means it might take you a while. It might, you're just going to, you're going to, you're going to take this story. You're going to take this, um, you're going to tell this ruler, you're going to do it slow and you're going to do it simple. And uh, if he has questions, you're going to answer him. Patience, you know, if you get, if it's quick, if it's, you know, with done almost with a temper or, you, you know, you're, you know, patience, patience, you can even persuade a ruler. And then I like the second line too where it says, a gentle tongue can break a bone. And I didn't look at gentleness or break a bone. It didn't seem like the two fit in the same sentence. Then I thought about the fruit of the Spirit. And gentleness is the eighth fruit of the Spirit. And me, I totally believe that Paul put them in the right order. And how love leads to joy, joy leads to peace. And so by the time you get to gentleness, that's major. You need seven before that. So what is gentleness? It's just not that soft-spoken, you know, easygoing. No, in fact, it's the opposite. And this is what I thought. Why, yeah, gentleness can break a bone because you know what gentleness a gentle tongue can break a bone. It is a silent strength. You are so sure. You are so confident. You don't need to fight and debate. You stand up because you know God's word says. There's something about when you get to that eighth fruit, gentleness, you feel strong. You know what persevere means. And you don't have to scream and yell and all that. No, God's word says. I mean, I've said this before, and, and I know I, th it was so helpful because I, I am very passionate and very emotional, and I, can, I could be loud and all that kind of thing. But I remember with my children, I got my best. I went, I went the farthest with them when I just simply said, that's the way it is. I didn't have to scream. I didn't have to, I didn't have to yell. I didn't have to. No, God's word says I didn't write the book. If you want to tangle with somebody, tangle with him. And somehow that really, you know, when I did that, it, you could just see that I didn't have to do anymore. God said. And when you're sure of that, if you find honey, eat just enough, too much of it, 
I'm going to say this. You'll get sick. Uh, I don't know. I, I, I just can't say that word. It's just uh, a... <laughs> He uses, he uses, I mean, maybe your version doesn't have it, but I uh, just, uh, if you eat, you know, so he's saying, I had a lady, th- I had a lady Thursday tell me that on Wednesday, her husband gave her a box of chocolate. She ate the whole thing one sitting. <laughs> she said it was so good. I just kept eating them. I ate the whole thing. And then she says, I know exactly what that proverb means. <laughs> because she said after it was done and then it started digesting, she says, oh man. And she said, it's true. If you find... Eat just enough. <laughs> Too much of it, you will get sick. Seldom set foot, but this is good. Seldom set foot in your neighbor's house too much of you, and he will hate you. Just like too much candy, you'll get sick. Guess what? Too much of you isn't too good either. <laughs> I just loved it. I bet Solomon smiled when he wrote that. He probably had some experiences with people where he said, oh, man, they're just driving me crazy. Too much of you. Too much of me is just too much. So, I mean, he's just, you know, he's just saying, just control your behavior. Just. And then like, like a club or a sword or a sharp arrow. Now, you just stop there. If you if you got clubbed over the head, if you got if you got a sword punctured right through you, or if you had a sharp arrow that hit you. I mean, you can imagine the pain. And he said, "Okay, same kind that hurt as great as that hurt is from those three things, well, is the man who gives false testimony against his neighbor." Again, this whole thing about sticks and stones make break my bones, but words will never hurt me. That is such a crock. I still say I would much rather be hit with a stick than hit with a word. Because, um, and that's really true. So think about how badly those three things would hurt you. He said, well, hey, you know, so wrong words can be hurtful. Like a bad tooth or a lame foot isn't, isn't some of his analogies, I mean, we can all relate to that. If you've had a toothache or if you have had a lame foot that, you know, not just a cut that he, but just a lame foot that's just constant. He said, well, like a bad tooth or a lame foot is reliance on the unfaithful in times of trouble. He said, come on, wise up. They're not learning. And you will continue to suffer. Like one who takes away a garment on a cold day or like vinegar poured on soda. I didn't get that, so I had to find out. I mean, I know when I make banana bread, when I combine vinegar and soda, oh, I love it when it gets, because, because um, if I need sour milk to make banana bread. This is the most fun part of my making banana bread is when I take eight tablespoons of milk and two tablespoons of vinegar to make it sour, and then I add my two teaspoons of soda. But I did not know that once, once soda hits vinegar, it's useless as far as taste or what the real cause for, I mean, you know, for banana bread, that's what you need. But I didn't know 
and it makes sense now. He says, like one who takes away a garment on a cold day. Or like vinegar poured on soda is one who sings songs to a heavy heart. I mean, that is one cold person. That is such, that is someone who just does not care. He just is, has no compassion at all. You tell me, who can take a garment from someone who's cold? Or become useless or, or sing a song. I, I like this. Sing a song when someone's heart is heavy. You come up to them and start singing, oh, it's that happy songs. It's, oh, if you, it's, you know somebody's got a heavy heart and you're just telling them about all the good things that's going on in your life right now. I think that's what it's saying here. How can you sing a song? How can you tell them about all the good things when right now you should have your arm around them and be caring and compassionate? And See what I mean, Solomon? He's just really going after some of those little things that we think, you know, hey, did I, when someone was hurting bad, did I just talk about me? Did I bring the story back to me? And you know, there's people like that, and, and I hope I'm not. I hope you're not. But it, it can. It's really sad when when you're talking to somebody and they're going through something. But no, you turn the story right away back to you. Oh, I know, I know, because I had that. You know, oh, don't you? Then you got a story bigger and better, and that poor person's got to hear about that. When all they want you to do is what? Listen. Just. Listen, what did James say? Now take note of this. Write this down because it's so essential. Be quick to listen. Be slow to speak. I think this is what Psalm is trying to say. Don't, re- don't you realize that that kind of conversation by bringing it back to you and not, you don't care about them? Do you realize how, how uncaring that really is? If your enemy is hungry, give him food. If he's thirsty, give him water to drink. In doing this, he will, you, will reap, you will heap burning coals on his head, and the Lord will reward you. Oh, excuse me. Where did we hear that before? Didn't you love it when you said, we just heard that from Paul in Romans? I still think Paul and Solomon are just taking, taking their holding hands and, and guiding us through these two books because I just see them both with such great wisdom, bringing us to our right place before the cross, showing us who we are because of Christ Jesus. But then in view of what he's done, come on, listen to instruction. Listen how he wants you to live. Do you really care? Do you want to live the way he wants you to live? So, I mean, this is such, this is so totally the opposite of the self. Because no matter who your enemy is, and, you know, it can be, it, it can just be anything, anyone. And what is your natural human instinct? Why does Paul and Solomon both have to say, no, your enemy, if he's thirsty, you got to give him something to drink. If he's hungry, give him, because what, what is your instinct? If they're hungry, good. If they're thirsty, good. 
Isn't that terrible? We're so pathetic. We are so pathetic. But he's saying, if you, if you act opposite than what your human nature, because th- this is what they're expecting. They're expecting you to come back at them with, you know, they're expecting that. But when you don't, I mean, what a powerful testimony, but they have no comeback. And then it said the Lord will reward you. And, you know, the simplest reward can be the, the most rewarding. And to me, it's when I go to bed at night and I, I rehash my day, and the reward to me that the Lord gives if I've done it right. To me, that is such a great reward when I think, oh, because there are many times that, no, why did I do that? Why did I say that? So Psalm is just saying, you know, he will give you that word. Uh, he will give you that, uh, the word of no regret. He'll give you the word of no guilt. To me, that's reward. As a north wind brings rain, so a sly tongue brings angry looks. Oh, I want to go back just a minute again to reiterate that because, again, if you really want to make Jesus your mentor, or if I, I, I have Stephen. Stephen's another one of my mentors. And they both said the same thing because I believe that Stephen had such a heart for Jesus because he was full of faith, full of the Spirit, full of grace, full of wisdom. He was just playing full of Jesus. And so then, if you are full of Jesus, you're going to look like him. Yep, there was a radiancy about him. And you're going to act like him. And you're going to talk like him. And what were the words that both of these two men, and the most, to me, unbelievable times when totally against self, what did they say? Father, forget them. Isn't that something? Okay, as a north wind brings rain, so a sly tongue brings angry looks. Okay, what's a sly tongue? A sly tongue. Oh, I'll tell you, that's a wicked one. A sly tongue. It can be backbiting. It can be whispering. And with that story that came to my mind is still one of my favorites in Luke chapter 7 where that sinful woman got into the house of Simon the Pharisee because she was determined to meet Jesus. And she walks into that house when you know everybody's sitting in that household that at that party. at that Everybody was the same type of person. And here comes this sinful woman. And she walks right in there. And the only way that she was able to get through those people was by looking at Jesus because there was a lot of sly tongue going on. You know they were elbowing each other and whispering behind the back and just, oh. And can you imagine the disgust on their faces, the anger? Sly tongue brings angry looks. Better to live on the corner of the roof than share a house with a quarrelsome wife. Man, he didn't even change a word on that one, did he? It's like he's, I'm bringing that baby back because they need to hear that one. You know, sometimes he would, he'll change. He'll change the same subject, but maybe he'll say it in a little different way. <laughs> There's a couple of these that he just plain came right out and said it the same way again. 
In other words, there's no other way to say it. Like cold water to a weary soul is good news from a distant land. I think we all know what it's like to have cold water to a weary soul. If you've been on a long walk, if you, if you had worked hard and you were perspiring and, and you were thirsty, I'll tell you, there's nothing like a cold, cold glass of water. So he said, okay, picture that. Man, it's so refreshing. It's so, it kind of lifts you back up and it takes that weary, weariness away from you. It revives you. Good news, good news from a distant land. We all love good news. Okay, I, you, you, we can let that go and say, yep, we, I lo- we all love good news. Yep, it's like a good glass of gold water when I'm weary. No, but take it deeper. What did Jesus say? Come on, come. Come to me, all you who are weary and are heavy laden. I will give you rest. You talk about good news. I think when I hear the words of Jesus, when I what's what what do we know? What is the gospel? Gospels notoriously described as the good news. There is nothing better for a weary soul, a lost soul, than hearing Jesus say, "Come." Come here. Like a muddied spring or a polluted well is a righteous man who gives way to the wicked. A muddied spring, so a polluted well, so, you know, neither one is going to be a good a glass of water. I mean, it's really no good. There's nothing good about muddied spring or polluted well. Well, guess what? Either is there's no good when a righteous man gives way to the wicked. When you just compromised, when you were afraid of what someone was going to think, so you just let it go, you just let it slide. He's going to get more into that in a little bit. I couldn't believe how he came back with verses that kind of went along that. He's saying, no, if you have been made righteous by a Savior who shed his blood for you, and because you were just a little consumed with self and you didn't, you were so worried about what someone would, or that sin just looked so fun. And who's going to know? You start to believe all those enemy lies. No good. Here he goes. It's not, it's not good to eat too much honey again, nor is it honorable to seek one's own honor. No. It's not honorable to seek one's own honor. I have a phrase that I've tried to live by. I always try to say, you know what? If I have to tell people how good I am, I must not be too good. And that's really true. And I think, because really, do you, do you really enjoy somebody telling you how good they are? Oh. No. So Solomon's just saying, take a look. Do you, you know, just make sure it's not honorable to seek one's own honor. Because that is just so not what, what did Jesus tell you to do? If you want to be a follower of mine, what must you do? Deny yourself. Humble yourself. Solomon really is really into that humble word. 
always know what you, from what you came from. And that'll keep you humble before him. Like a city whose walls are broken down is a man who lacks self-control. Now, back then, when, when walls were built around cities, what was the reason? Protect, right? So what good is a wall to a city when it's all broken down? I mean, the protection, your protection just went away. Well, you know what? The same thing is a man who lacks self-control. Now, what's the ninth fruit of God's spirit? Self-control. And why is it ninth? Because you need all eight. That's why it's the last one. And, and you want a simple definition of what self-control is? Control self. Just flip it, and there's your definition. And you think, you know, sometimes we laugh, but that's how badly self needs to be controlled. That's how sneaky and tricky and appealing and everything that it is about self. And so we need that self-controlled. And the only way that we can control self is by the Holy Spirit producing the characteristics of Christ in us. Because if you are totally out there, if self is in control of you, let me tell you, you are like a city with a broken wall. You, all protection is gone. You know what the Holy Spirit's saying to you now? Okay, you think you're so smart? Okay, go hang yourself. It's not that the Holy Spirit leaves you, but I mean, if you're not going to activate him, if you're not going to utilize him, he, he says, okay, you think you're so smart? You think self on the, on the, at the throne of your life, you think you're, you're, you really know best? Then, okay. But you have just absolutely let down all protection. Okay, like snow in summer or rain in harvest, honor is not fitting for a fool. I mean... Snow in summer, rain in harvest. I mean, what he's saying is it's out of place. And so is honor is not fitting for a fool. Now, he's going to bring up that word fool a lot. And I don't know about you, but I don't like the word fool. But, yeah, we've got to see it for what it is. What is a fool? It's a foolish person. What's a foolish person? It's someone who does not listen to godly wisdom. He's just listening to themselves. And that is a fool. So, you know, a fool isn't just some nitwit. A fool, it's serious. Yeah, I can be a fool when I act foolishly, when I think I know better than God. And I try to tell him how I want things. When his plan is good, pleasing, and perfect. When I, when I say that, I'm a fool. So he's just saying it's out of place. No, honor is not fitting for a fool. Like a fluttering sparrow or a darting swallow. Two simple little birds. But if you've ever watched them, I mean, they just go and go and go and go. An undeserved curse does not come to rest. An undeserved curse. Now, what, what is an undeserved curse? I just kind of put up my own language sometimes, and that's like an insult. And an insult, I'll tell you, that just doesn't come to a rest. It just keeps, you know, it just keeps eating away at you. 
So it hurts. It lasts. A whip for a horse, a halter for the donkey, and a rod for the backs of fools. <laughs> what is he basically saying? A horse needs to be controlled. A donkey needs to be controlled. And guess what? A fool needs to be controlled. Do not answer a fool according to his folly, or you will be like him yourself. Do not answer a fool according to his folly. In other words, two things. If you've got some fool, if you've got somebody that's talking, you know, wrong words, <laughs> wrong conversation, whether it's hurtful, it's insulting, it's crude, it's whatever. That kind of conversation, that's coming out of the mouth of a fool. And he said, if you don't turn around and walk away from that, or if you don't stand up and say something, and you just join in with a laughter, oh, that's a funny joke. Oh, yeah, yeah. Oh, no kidding. Is that what you heard about so-and-so? I mean, if you go right along with it, guess what? You've just, you've identified yourself right with that person. Do not answer a fool according to his folly, or you will be just like him. And here, another one. He's, he's going to keep on this subject for a while. Answer a fool according to his folly, or he will be wise in his own eyes. Like cutting, like cutting off one's feet or drinking violence. Now, did you think about that? Like cutting off your feet or drinking violence. Now, again, I'm sorry if my grandchildren, I know I'm not supposed to say this word, but I don't know if there's any other word, but stupid. Cutting off your feet? Drinking violence? In other words, deliberately? That's stupid. Why would you do that? Well, like cutting off one's feet or drinking violence is the sending of a message by the hand of a fool. Don't put this message in the hand of someone who doesn't get it? Again, I told you that. I mean, it, it's like trying to have an interview with a, someone who, who absolutely does not understand the Lord's wisdom, and you try to communicate a biblical phrase to them. You better know it's not going to get in the paper the way you said it. Like a lame man's legs that hang limp is a proverb in the mouth of a fool. Such good analogies, like a lame man's legs that hang limp. In other words, they are useless. They won't. They don't have any. Won't help at all. Well, that guess what? A proverb, a beautiful proverb in the mouth of a fool. It's going nowhere. Like tying a stone in in a sling is the giving of honor to a fool. See, this is another thing, stupid. When you have a slingshot, think of, think of David and Goliath. You know, five little stones and one little stone went in the sling and the sling went round and round. And then where did that stone, right between those two eyes, man, it hit its target. Now, we're talking about tying a stone in your sling. Where is that going to hit? It's going to hit you. It's come right. It's going to hit you because you've tied it. See what I mean? There's no other word than stupid here. That's just ridiculous. But Solomon's trying to make a point. It's just utterly stupid to, to hand over 
honor to a fool. Because guess who it's going to all be about? Like a thorn bush in a drunkard's hand is a proverb in the mouth of a fool. Boy, another great illustration. A thorn, usually, boy, if a thorn gets in, if, if it just pricks you, doesn't it hurt? If you've held a rose and a thorn hit, I mean, it doesn't take much for me to know, ooh, that smarts. But he's saying, you know, a thorn bush in the middle of a drunkard, you know what, because, you know, it's dull, dull as senses. Like an archer who wounds at random is he who hires a fool or any passerby. An archer who wounds at random. Now I'm going to change the word to dangerous. So, you know, we've got to watch out who, who we're affiliating with, who, who we are um, hanging out with, who we're listening to, who he's saying, remember, there's so many people who are fools. And I know you think you don't have any friends or any people acquainted that are fools. Well, you know, if, if they're just caught in themselves, if they're not listening to God's wisdom, if they're making decisions according, um, he said, oh, be careful. It's dangerous. And then look, <laughs> as a dog returns to his sick, <laughs> so a fool repeats his folly. <laughs> can't say it. Can't say it. And so the word that, so I've had the word stupid for about four or five verses, and then I see the word dangerous, and I'm going to see dangerous again. But right here, I look at it, it's just plain gross. <laughs> Do you see a man wise in his own eyes? Do you see a man who's wise in his own eyes? So key word is own, right? He's wise in his own eyes. Do you know anybody like that, saying? There is more hope for a fool than for him. The sluggard said, okay, remember, sluggard means lazy. Okay, the lazy person says, there's a lion in the road, a fierce lion roaming the streets. <laughs> and then what does he do about it? Oh, nothing. He just sits there. He does nothing. But he sure said the message out there. But I'm, I'm talking spiritually, too. The, the person who's spiritually lazy Oh, man, they can quote the verses. They can, they can be critical of someone else. Oh, look at that. But they don't do anything about it. See, I love it. You can look at it, visit life, real life here or spiritually, and it works both ways. As a door, look at this. As a door turns on its hinges, so a sluggard turns on his bed. Okay, a door. The door, you open the door. Where's the door going? Nowhere. I mean, you can swing that thing back and forth, you know. Yep, it swings on the hinge. Yeah, but where, the door's going nowhere. Well, guess what? The slugger, so a slugger turns on his bed. He's not going anywhere. He's, gonna, he's not going to make his life count. He's not going to try to help serve for the kingdom. He doesn't go anywhere. He doesn't do anything. The slugger buries his head in the dish. He is too lazy to bring it back to his mouth. That's another one that he, he said word for word before. He said, maybe, maybe if I put it like this, you can just see how pathetic that looks. 
The slugger buries his head, hand in the dish. He's too lazy to bring it back to his mouth. I think spiritually that could mean the sluggard buries his, the scripture verse in his head and he's too lazy to, to do anything with it, to, let it, to apply it, to, to let it change him. Because you know what to apply it. Do you think it takes, it takes work? It takes work. It takes work to apply. I mean, it's easy to come in here. It's easy to listen. It's easy to um, say, oh, yeah, that was good. Um, it's even easy to do some of these questions. The hard work is when you say, you know what, it's talking to me, and i got to make some changes. And the lazy spiritual person doesn't want to do that. The sluggard is wiser in his own eyes than seven men who answer discreetly. You know, that sluggard is wiser in his own eyes. He thinks he's smarter than any of the wise answers that are going to come from right people. That's how deceived they get themselves. They justify their own behavior. They think they're smarter. They, they know more. Like one who seizes a dog by the ears. Now, I am not a real dog person, but I did ask a friend of mine who is a real dog person, and I said, wonder if you grab a dog, a, a dog that doesn't know you, and, and you grab it by the ears. What's going to happen? What did Solomon mean? He says, it means that dog's going to bite you. And I kind of figured that, but I just wanted to, you know, you grab an unknown dog by the ears, it's going to bite you. And he says, well, that's exactly what's going to happen. It's a passerby who meddles in a quarter or quarrel. That's none of his business. Like a madman shooting firebrands or deadly arrows is a man who deceives his neighbor and says, I was only joking. Oh. You know, have you had that? Somebody can be cutting, and, you know, they want to get their point across, but they do it. Oh, I was just kidding. I was just joking. Oh. Liar. That's what Psalm is trying to get us to see. Who are you kidding? You just thought you were trying to be so nice by doing it that way because you didn't want to come right out and say it, but you, you knew what you were doing. Without wood, a fire goes out. Without gossip, a quarrel dies down. Do I need to explain that? No. <laughs> no, no, you know. Good advice, Solomon. Thank you. I need to know that. Don't add to it. If I don't add to it, guess what? Stops. As charcoal to embers and as wood to fire, so is a quarrelsome man for kindling strife. Now, in my version, I saw the word kindling and I saw the word wood. And then I understood what, you know, what, what is to make a decent fire. You just can't plop a bunch of big logs in there. You need that kindling. That's so important. And so he said, you know what? That kindling is what starts it. And he said, that's what you are, a quarrelsome man. You're like that quick start 
get everybody rubbed up, everybody going, everybody mad. The words of a gossip are like choice morsels. They go down to a man's inmost parts. Oh, so often we think gossip is so innocent, so, I mean, who's going to know? It's so undamaging. I mean, it's just, uh, it's wrong words. And wrong words go deep. Like a coating of glaze over earthenware are fervent lips with an evil heart. A coating glaze over earthenware are fervent lips over an evil heart. Oh, I call that cover up, cover up. And, and the person that came to my mind was, well, persons, the Pharisees. When Jesus himself looked at him and called him, you whitewashed tombs, pretty much the same kind of principle. You act like you are so spit and polished and you've got, oh, people are just awed by your, your religiosity and, and your intellect and, and how the way you carry yourself and all that. And he says, but you are nothing but dead inside. So, yeah, you look whitewashed on the outside, but you're a tomb. So he's saying, you know, it's just time to check that heart every now and then to see if you are camouflaging, if maybe your smiles aren't real, maybe your words aren't real, maybe your countenance, maybe that smile isn't real. Maybe there's something that's going on in your heart that he said the Lord is trying to work at. You're covering up. Oh, someone brought up to me Thursday. They said, you know, this is kind of Dutch. You know, she, they said, we were told when we go to church, don't say anything. Let's say they just had a big fight at the family or something. Just don't, you know, sit, we'll sit in our same seat in church and I'll pass you the peppermint. Just don't tell them what's going on because we've got it. We're that nice family that everybody thinks everything is perfect. <laughs> I think sometimes we did that. We did camouflage a little bit. I mean, we knew what was going on. We knew things weren't perfect. But boy, we better, we better not show that at church. Because what would they think? What would they think? <laughs> oh, and that's what Solomon is saying. Don't play that game. Take a look at your heart if it needs to be checked, if it needs to be, if you need to be worked on. Be grateful that the Bible is really cutting right to the chase and saying, hey, you got a problem here. He wants to set you free of it. A malicious man disguises himself with his lips, but in his heart he harbors deceit. Same thing. Though his speech is charming, do not believe him, for seven abominations fill his heart. His malice may be concealed by deception, but his wickedness will be exposed in the assembly. Oh, you know, that part. Sometimes it, it, sometimes the real you gets exposed, you know, let's face it. Sometimes it comes back to get you and, it, and everybody knows. But maybe you're so good at it that you take this game plane and this facade all the way to the grave. And everybody at your funeral said, oh, he was, she was so wonderful. What does this, what does this say? Are you going to get away with it? No. 
No, it will be brought out because where is it going to be brought out? If your sins are not, have not been dealt with at the cross, where are your sins? Where's your fakeness? Where's your, where is that going to be dealt with? At judgment. That's why Jesus says, not everybody is going to say to me, Lord, Lord's going to enter the kingdom of heaven because I saw the real them. And I'm going to say, uh, sorry, doesn't work that way. It will be revealed in the assembly. If a man digs a pit, he will fall into it. If a man rolls a stone, it will roll back on him. Uh, you will reap what you sow. A lying tongue hates those it hurts, and a flattering mouth works ruin. A lying tongue hates those it hurts. Isn't that the truth? A lying tongue or a flattering mouth, who are they caring about? Oh, you bet. You bet it is. That's right. They could care less about the other person. Do not boast about tomorrow, for you do not know what a day may bring forth. I was just singing a little song that one. We have this moment to hold in our hand and to touch as it slips through our fingers like saying, yesterday's gone, but tomorrow may never come, but we have this moment today. What is Solomon trying to say to us? Make the most of your moments. Don't expect tomorrow to come. Don't say, well, you know what? They got? I'm going to let them stew for about a week. I'm going to carry that unforgiving spirit because they got it coming. I'm going to carry that revenge. I'm going to carry that grudge. I'm going to carry that psalmist saying, come on. Don't boast. Don't, don't do that. About Don't think that you're going to have tomorrow for you to not know what a day may bring. Let another praise you and not your own mouth. Someone else, not your own lips. Yeah. Stone is heavy and sand a burden, but provocation by a fool is heavier than both. Provocation, I had to look that up. I didn't really know what that meant. A fool is someone who just loves to just stir up anger. He loves to, he just loves to um, make someone angry on purpose. He just loves to do that. Stone is heavy and sand a burden, but provocation by a fool. Someone who just loves to be angry and make other people angry. It just weighs on you. Anger is cruel and fury overwhelming, but who can stand before jealousy? You know what I think Solomon is saying here? I think Solomon is saying that as much as anger is terrible and someone's angry at you or fury is even terrible but he's saying I want you to know you think jealousy isn't that bad well it is a slow burner and it affects every part of you it is damaging it slowly destroys so I mean I I was just kind of surprised when he kind of compared jealousy to anger and fury anger is cruel fury is overwhelming say yeah yeah it is hard but who can stand before jealousy? You know, I kind of looked at that. About, you know what? If someone's mad, I mean, really mad at me, and, and like, um, you know, my mom or dad would get really mad at me, or, the, you know, they were just furious with me, say the word fury. Um, you know what? I had it coming. So usually, you know, when someone's mad, they got, I had it coming. Maybe that's what Solomon is saying, you know? Anger usually is because of something. But jealousy, 
There's no reason to that. Someone can't help that they either have that or are that or God's given that gift or whatever. Jealousy. Who can stand up against that? No, I can't. You can. It's a, it's a nasty one. Better is open rebuke than hidden love. Better is open rebuke than hidden love. I, I think what he's saying is, you know, sometimes it's just better to get it out and say, you know what, I, I think we better talk about this. Because wonder if you start, what it was hidden love. It's not going to be long where it isn't love anymore. Better open rebuke. Better to just let's, let's talk about this because otherwise, you know, we keep squishing it down. And then every time I look at you, then all I see is that. It starts changing relationships. How you feel? He said better is open rebuke than hidden love. Wounds from a friend can be trusted. In other words, sometimes, you know, they, I don't think they mean to wound you, but sometimes what they have to say, a friend has your best interest in mind, and if they see something, so as he said, wounds from a friend can be trusted. They have your best interest. But an enemy multiplies kisses. Oh, there's nothing worse than fake compliments. He who is full loathes honey, but to the hungry, even what is bitter tastes sweet. I had to think about that one. He who is full loathes honey. You know, I, I kind of call that the spoiled bread. <laughs> I mean, the, the person, and the way I could describe it is when I used to sing, you know, there, there were places that I couldn't wait. In fact, when I, like, I'm going to just give you an example, the Crystal Cathedral. I mean, all of a sudden, I got asked to sing at the Crystal Cathedral. Oh, man, I felt I arrived. And I went to that Crystal Cathedral, and I sang up the storm, and everybody sat in that audience like, oh, man, we had so-and-so last week. Who are you? What was your name again? Oh, we had so-and-so last week. I mean, the, that's the thing. I, the, I could put myself into this because sometimes people who have so much, I mean, it's like I could almost see, just try to bless me. I mean, they're just spoiled. They just have had so much, you know. And then, and I had this time and time again. I sang it so many great things that I thought was really going to be a feather in my cap, and okay, that's going to put me on the map, and you know, it's so sad. I'm embarrassed to tell you that, and then I would go to these little churches, you know, and there they would sit in the end of their pews, just can't wait to hear what you've got to sing, can't wait to hear what you got to say, because you know what? Last week, they didn't have so-and-so. They were pretty thrilled with you. <laughs> And I think that's what Psalm is saying. You know, we get caught in our human nature sometimes, and we think we need the big grandeur. And he's saying, no, it's never what it's cracked up to be. And sometimes you can just get so much that you don't appreciate it. Okay, I, th I just want to do a couple more. Like a bird that strays from its nest is a man who strays from his home. If a bird doesn't 
happy to feed his little birdies. If a bird leads, leaves that nest before those eggs are hatched, what's going to happen? I mean, look at a bird that strays from its nest is a man who strays from his home. You're, you're not responsible for what you've been called to do. You are going to miss the blessing. To me, that's even worse. You're going to miss the blessing of a job well done. Did you notice 15? He said it again. A quarrelsome wife is like a constant dripping on a rainy day. Did you notice he did? he's saying, I'm going to tell you again. I'm not going to change it because this is the way you got to see it. As iron, verse 17, as iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another. Isn't that great? Did, did you ever say, think how the Lord puts right people in your life at the right time? And you think, oh, man, I'm so grateful for that person. And to think five years ago, I didn't even know him. And now they're so valuable in my life. We do, we do, we need each other. And if you really look back in your life, you can really see how the Lord put right people in your life at the right time. Verse 19, as water reflects a face. So a man's heart reflects the man. You know, that's why I, you know, that gal that's, that, uh, well, I don't know if I even told you because I think it happened on Tuesday, but I, I had a gal that struggled with, um, I forget, sometimes I forget if I tell you, and I'm sorry if I, if, if I repeat here, but she had a problem last week with with Paul saying, be ye transformed. Yeah, you won't because it happened Tuesday and we have Monday night. Um, be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind. Remember? And uh, she says, I'm confused. Am I supposed to have my heart change or my mind change? Because here it says that the reflection, like a face in water, reflects. So um, our heart reflects who we really are. And yet Paul last week said we have to be transformed by the renewing of our minds. And again, I say the two are connected. They are so connected. Because what's in your heart will go smack to your mind. And that is how you're going to make your decisions. That's how you're going to make your priorities. And that mind has got to be changed or it's going to get your actions are going to uh, really be shoddy. So it's both. Our heart need, needs to be changed and so does our mind. I think they, they go hand in hand. Okay, finally, 20, verse 23. Be sure you know the condition of your flocks. Give careful attention to your herds. I know it's so easy to pass over that because you think, oh, I'm not a farmer, and I'm sure not a shepherd. And so, you know, that verse doesn't pertain to me. But when you hear Solomon say, now be sure you know the condition of your flocks. Give careful attention to your herds. Who's he? What's he talking about? He's just saying you better be careful about your heart because that's what's going to determine your mind and your actions so be sure you know the condition of your flocks. What do you think that could mean? Your heart. Make sure, make sure that you know the condition of your heart and make sure you're given careful attention with how you are living your life. 
for riches do not endure forever and a crown does not secure for all generations. He said, you got to be careful because this world wants to trap you thinking this is what you need. This is what you have to be. This is where your worth is. It's not this world. It's Jesus. And then he finishes by saying, when the hay is removed and new growth appears and the grass from the hills is gathered in, the lambs will provide you with clothing and the goats with the price of a field. You will have plenty of goat's milk to feed you and your family and to nourish your servant girls. He's basically saying, would you make sure you know the condition of your heart? Will you make sure that you give careful attention to how you live your life? Because what can you know? What has God promised you? He will always supply what? what you need. Thank you, Solomon. Great instruction. Have a good week.